Welcome to Cyberology, Dakota State University's podcast about all things cyber and technology. I'm Jen Burris from the Marketing and Communications Department, and I'm excited to welcome back Gabe Midlin as our co-host. Hey, Jen. Thank you for having me back. In this episode, we'll be talking about utilizing technology in the classroom. I'm excited to introduce our guest, Kevin Smith. He is an associate professor in the College of Education, coordinator of the Master of Science in Education Technology program, and currently the interim director of the Center for Teaching and Learning. Kevin, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, thanks, Jen and Gabe, for having me on the podcast. Just a little bit about me. I'm just starting my ninth year at DSU in the College of Ed. I've been at DSU longer than that, though. I was an undergrad student here. I graduated with a math education major and a computer minor. When I finished at DSU, my first teaching job was in Nebraska. So I was a high school math teacher right out of college. And I've always been involved in technology. And so thanks for inviting me to talk more about something that I'm really interested in. We're glad to have you. Can you start out by just kind of telling us about some of the tools that you use in the classroom? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I feel like I use lots of different technology tools and it changes all the time. That's one of the things that we know is constant with technology is that it's always changing. So I guess when I think about technology tools in the classroom, I kind of group them into sort of different categories. So I do a lot of things with multimedia. I love to have students create things with multimedia. So we use tools like Canva and WeVideo and Book Creator to create videos and infographics and posters to show what we know. I use a lot of tools for formative assessment. So ways to get feedback from students to make sure that we know that they're learning what we want them to learn. So I use things like quizzes and Go Soapbox and Kahoot. And then Collaboration tools. One of the great things about technology is the way it allows us to collaborate with people all over. So a lot of different collaboration tools for video. We use Google Meet and Zoom and Skype and Microsoft Teams. And then the last kind of category that fits in with the technology things I do is adaptive learning tools. So these are things that teach us in a self-paced way. And so I use those in a variety of ways in my classes to help students learn. So yeah, lots of different technology tools, definitely. Kevin, you mentioned one thing really quickly, and it might be helpful for our audience who aren't involved in education. Formative assessment, can you explain what that is and why it's so important? Yeah, good. Good question, Gabe. So formative assessment is really I like to think of it as gathering data while you're teaching. So while we're teaching, we want to gather information about what the students know and maybe what they don't know. We don't need technology to do formative assessment. We do formative assessment just by observing what our students are doing, by asking them questions. But technology allows us to make sure that everyone has a voice. So sometimes if you just have a discussion, you might have students that aren't as eager to participate as others. So if we use technology, it allows everyone to respond in some way to tell us if they know the answer to a question or to give us feedback. And then based on that as an instructor, we can make decisions about 
Do we need to reteach something? Do we need to move on? Do we need more clarification? Can I just follow up really quickly? How would you use technology then to do a formative assessment while you're teaching a lesson? And how would that actually work? Good question. So I'll give you a specific example, and I'll talk about a tool in particular that I use. So I use a tool called Nearpod, which is a tool that you can use to really deliver interactive lessons. In the Nearpod tool, I might show the students a slide with some information on it, some text. Maybe the next slide I show them is a short video that explains a concept. And now I want to find out, are the students with me? Do they understand what I've just shared with them? So I would pull up a slide in Nearpod and Nearpod allows me to have this slide appear on everybody's screen in the classroom. And so on that screen, there might be a question that they would respond to. And so it wouldn't matter how many students I had in the class. I could have 10 or 50 or 100. They would respond to the question. And in a matter of seconds, I would have data on how everybody did on that question. And based on that, now I can decide, do I need to explain things further or are we ready to move on? So it allows you to get feedback almost instantly as to where the students are at with the new idea that you're introducing to them. Yep. Do students get to use that as well as you're preparing them to go out and teach in the world? Yeah, good question. Almost all the technology tools that I use, I use them really for two reasons. I use them, one, to help in my instruction. So I use tools like Nearpod to make my lessons more interactive, to gather that formative assessment data that we just talked about. But I also use them in my classes because I want to introduce future teachers to all these tools that they have at their fingertips. So really every technology tool that I'm using in my class is a potential tool for them to turn around and use in their own K-12 classroom in the future. Okay. And can you speak to some of the other benefits of introducing these technology-based apps and extras? Sure. My philosophy or kind of my approach to technology with students is I really want to give them hands-on experience with tools. I don't want to just talk about them. But students need to actually not only see it, but touch it and use it and do it. This helps build their confidence So that's kind of the first piece that I think about, like, how can I give them hands-on experiences? The next thing I think about with technology and preparing future teachers is I want to think about integration strategies. I want them to think about how could I use this in a meaningful way in the classroom. And then the third thing I think about is I really want to have them think about their mindset when it comes to technology. And when I talk about mindset, I want them to have, you know, we would call it a growth mindset in which they are not afraid to learn new things. Because like I said, really the only thing that we know for sure about technology is that it's going to change. And so I want students to leave DSU with the mindset that I can learn new things. I'm not afraid of it. But also with those other things, they have confidence to, to tackle new things and they have good strategies to use them in meaningful ways. Um, so those are really the things I think about. I try to impart all of that information and kind of that approach to technology with my students. Well, I was kind of wondering when you introduce a tool to students, some of them really take off running. Can you share some of the most gratifying moments or some of the things that students have done with technology that just kind of made you go, wow, I hadn't considered it that way? I mean, what are some of the success stories? That's a good question. I I mean, I feel like I'm always happy when I hear about a former student 
or, you know, a current student that's in a field experience that tries a technology tool that we used in class, it tells me that they're confident enough to give it a try while they're just learning to be a teacher. So that always feels good. I feel like a more gratifying thing is when a former student talks about a new technology tool that they learned about and they're excited and they turn around and share that with me. That really demonstrates to me that they have embraced that idea of having a growth mindset, learning new things, you know, adapting to change. So that that's gratifying. One gratifying experience for me was I had a former student that was teaching in Bangkok and that student wanted to connect with me and my students using Zoom. And it was a fairly simple technology integration. It wasn't sophisticated. You know, we just got on a Zoom session, but wow, powerful to be able to have my students in Madison, South Dakota, talking to a teacher in Bangkok. You know, it was 10 a.m. our time. It was 10 p.m. her time. And getting to hear her talk about her experiences teaching middle school math a really powerful use of technology and gratifying that a student is willing to take a risk and do that. Mm-hmm. Very cool. You use so many different areas of technology. And can you speak a little bit about the virtual classroom that you use? Sure. So at DSU, we have something called the VAIL. It stands for Virtual Avatar Learning Experience. Uh, It's something that a colleague of mine brought to DSU in 2018. His name was Dan Klumper. He's the person that really brought this, what we call mixed reality teaching environment to DSU. Dan saw it at a conference that he was at. There were no other universities in the area that were using it. There were universities in other parts of the U.S. that were using it, but no one in our region. And he thought it would be a really good experience for our students. So he wrote a grant, brought this technology to DSU, and now we use it a couple times each semester to give our students a chance to practice teaching. And so what mixed reality is, is it's a combination of virtual reality with a human component. And so that's why they call it mixed reality. And the way it works is our DSU students, our students that are learning to become teachers, they go into one of our classrooms and they stand in front of what looks like a big screen TV and they teach lessons, they lead discussions with avatars. And there are five avatars on the screen, they're middle school aged avatars. And we have them work on things like classroom management and strategies for leading discussions And we have faculty observe them while they're doing it. And then when they're done, we have debrief sessions to talk about what went well and what didn't. And so it's a really unique experience. It's not something that students get at other universities in the area. We think it really is beneficial for our students because it gives them one more chance to get actual teaching experience with students and then get feedback from faculty on on how they did. One thing I'd like to add to that discussion about the veil, not being involved with it directly, but being in the same building, when the students are using the virtual reality, the mixed reality, as you explained, they kind of gather in a group outside the room and they're all going to go in at one time. When they come out, they share their experiences with others. And what I thought was really kind of neat was... The students stay, even though they've had their 
time in the veil room to find out how it went for others. And they share experiences and they give each other tips about how to watch out for this thing because it might happen to you. But the veil is a unique experience for each of the students. It's not just one simulation that's repeated over and over again. And so the students are kind of learning vicariously, if you will, not having observed what another student went through in their experience, but they're sharing different ideas of how to handle different situations and funny things that happened and frustrating things that happened. And there's a real sense of collaboration when the students have a chance to do it. And I think it's just an incredible tool to help prepare students when they are sent out to the actual classroom. Because even though there's just five of them, I've seen these avatars <laughs> behave and they are just like you've got the crowd pleaser, you've got the student who's distracted, you've got the student who's distracting other students. It's a very good simulation of what it's like in a classroom. And uh, that kind of technology is a nice way to be able to practice and learn from before you actually do the real thing. It's amazing. I think it's great. One of the things I'll add to that is I totally agree with Gabe. I think it's a great experience. Last semester, one of the powerful things about this is the fact that we can have faculty watch all of our students teach to the same group of students and that's really powerful because when we talk about a student and behaviors, we can all kind of speak a common language because we all know that all the students experience that same student. And that's hard to simulate when you send students off to different classrooms. It's hard to zero in on behaviors and talk about it. So in the spring when we did it, we had a couple students, a couple of the avatars that were fairly defiant. They did not want to do the activity that they were asked to do. And this is this happens at times. And so the DSU students were kind of unsure of how to handle this and they don't have a lot of experience with it. So um, what I did after the veil session, I observed them, gave them some feedback. And then I asked several of my colleagues in the College of Ed, if you had a student that did this, that demonstrated this behavior in your classroom, how would you handle it? And they all responded to me. I didn't let them share their responses. I wanted to see how each of them would handle the situation. And then I went back to the DSU students and said, here is what faculty said about this. And the interesting thing was what came out of that discussion was really the importance and the value of relationships all the DSU faculty had really good ideas for how they could deal with that behavior in that moment. But in teaching, there isn't just one magic word that you can say that's going to correct it or one thing you can do. It really all came back to you have to have a really good relationship with the student and understand where they're coming from. And, and that was just a consensus among faculty. And then so to bring that back to students and have them had experience that student and then hear from faculty, I felt like it was a really great teachable moment for them. Kind of a little bit of preparation for that year-long student teaching. Definitely. We want to, you know, our students, they student teach, like you said, for a full year. So we want to give them as many classroom field experiences as we can. And this just adds to that part of their learning experience at DSU. And does it help to have maybe those avatar instigators 
to give them an experience of a child or a student that might not be the most responsible in class? I think so. I think you don't know what to expect with teaching. You don't know what kind of students you're going to have. And oftentimes those students that you have that might be defiant, that might not be doing what you want when you do it, oftentimes there's an underlying reason for that. And so that's where it really comes back to the relationship piece. And so for our students to actually get to experience a student that doesn't listen to them and then to think about how can I change that? How can I help them listen and learn so that this is a good experience for everybody? I feel like you can talk about those things, but the only way to really learn and to really make headway in that area and work to become a really good teacher is to get some really concrete experiences in the veil, I think does that. It's a nice simulation, closer to the real life experience without actually dealing with actual students. So I think it, it certainly boosts their confidence and it makes them more self-assured that while they can anticipate everything that's going to happen in the classroom, they've had some experience in different situations and how best to handle them. In addition to your technology in your classroom that you're using with DSU students, you also do a Chasing Einstein challenge and math mentorship with some elementary schools, if I'm correct. Yeah, so I'll tell you a little bit about my Chasing Einstein activity first. So that's an activity that I do in one of my courses. It's K through 8 math methods. Chasing Einstein is a gamification activity. And so if you're not familiar with gamification, it really means you're going to add game-based elements into a non-game context. So in this situation, we're going to add game-based elements into the classroom to motivate and engage students. And so when I talk about game-based elements, it means things like leaderboards and quests and challenges and badges. And so I started to do this chasing Einstein activity as a way to introduce my students to gamification I wanted them to think about this as a tool they could use in their own classroom to motivate and engage students. So I started it in 2017. It's a nine-week challenge. We partner with area schools on this activity. So my students are math mentors for students in area classrooms. And every week they create videos for these students in classrooms we all do math challenges, both my DSU students and the classroom students that we partner with. I keep score based on the challenges they do. I have a leaderboard. We give out some prizes. I think it's a really fun and unique way for my students to learn and see gamification in action. And it's a neat way for students in area classrooms to get to learn from college students. And, you know, the ultimate goal for these classrooms that we partner with is to really show them that math can be fun and that, you know, really the most important thing in terms of being successful or being in the classroom, in the math classroom and being a productive student is to really have a positive attitude and put forth effort. So we really try to stress those two things, attitude and effort. That's kind of our goal with the Chasing Einstein activity. That makes all the difference, I think, having a positive attitude. Yeah, and I think that the whole idea of paying attention to effort, not how fast we can resolve a problem or solve a problem or how fast we can find an answer, but the approach that 
if I really put some effort into it, I can be successful, is what I'd hope more teachers would pay attention to rather than the student who is just more performance-based. They're doing what they need to do to get the grade, more mastery type of learning through effort, how it applies in different situations or how it can be used to solve certain kinds of issues or problems. That's exciting. I like that a lot. Yeah, and I would say there's a real push in math teaching to really do just that, to de-emphasize speed and to really emphasize effort. And the fact that, you know, sometimes the best mathematicians are not the fastest. They're the people that can look for patterns and, and make use of structure and take their time and put forth effort to solve problems. And so that's really what we tr- want to try to instill in our students as they think about math. And I think that makes for a better educator, to be quite honest. I mean, usually, generally speaking, I think you have two types of educators. You have one that the subject matter is something that comes easily to them. It's more like a talent. And then you have someone who's just genuinely interested in the topic, who might not, again, be the fastest or the quickest to find an answer or have a response ready, but genuinely enjoys the topic. And I think the best teachers are those that fall into the second camp rather than the first camp because they know what it's like to kind of wrestle with the information and struggle with it a little bit and have had success and have tasted success and are excited for others who, again, find it challenging, find it somewhat of an obstacle to move through that they can, too, experience and taste that success. Um, Certainly, we want everybody to be proficient, but proficiency doesn't always mean speed or how fast they get something done. It's how they go about solving the problem and the ability to get the problem done. And to that point, Gabe, I think the second camp of teachers that you were describing sounds a little bit more empathetic in connecting with their students. I would guess so. I mean, I think that they understand what it's like to be stumped. And um, maybe a little bit frustrated, but also a little bit determined to want to find the answer because they enjoy the challenge and they're learning and they, they love learning. I think everybody enjoys being around people who enjoy what they're doing and find it not something that comes automatically, but something that comes with a little bit of effort and work. Kevin, you've also been involved with some learning apps in the Apple Store. Can you tell us a little bit about what inspired you to create those and how you went about doing it? Sure. So I've always been interested in technology. And when the App Store first started, the Apple App Store, I immediately was thinking, how could I get an app in the App Store? How could I come up with an idea? What what could I do to get an app in the App Store? And I remember one of the early apps that was really popular was Angry Birds And, you know, you would hear stories about millions of downloads. And so a friend of mine from graduate school and I put our heads together and started to brainstorm ideas for apps. And we wanted to do something with education. And at the time, I had three young kids at home that were doing spelling tests. And so my friend and I thought a spelling app would be a really good choice. And at the time, he happened to be an assistant principal at an elementary school. So he saw a need for 
helping students practice their spelling list. So that was really where the idea came from. And we went through the process of trying to figure out how do we get this idea into the App Store. You know, we started kind of through the whole software development process. We created wireframes, which were kind of sketches of what our app might look like. We spent a lot of time kind of researching other spelling apps, thinking about what we liked and what we didn't like. And then once we got to a point where we were happy with our wireframes and we had kind of thought through what it might function like, we started to think about interface and then programming. And we kind of were at a standstill with programming. We weren't quite sure how we were going to program something to get in the app store. So we actually found a college student that was a computer programming major and the college student built our first app. So I did the design and he did all the backend programming and we launched the first app that we have in the app store in 2012. So it's been quite a while ago now and it's called Spelling Star. It's a pretty simple app. It allows parents or teachers to enter a spelling list. They record their voice. They read the spelling words. They can put the spelling words in a sentence. They record it, and then their child or the students in a classroom can open up that spelling list, and it randomly gives them one of the words. They can hear the audio. They have to type in the word correctly three times in order to master their spelling list for the week. So that was the first app. And now since that time, we have two more apps in the App Store. One is called Math Mountains, Add and Subtract, and the other one is called Math Mountains, Multiply and Divide. And those apps are very similar But the idea behind those is we really wanted students to see the relationship in fact families. So when I talk about fact families for addition, I'm talking about six plus two equals eight. But we also want students to recognize that eight minus six equals two. We want them to recognize the relationship between addition and subtraction. And we want them to visually see this. So In the app, there's a triangle, and so that kind of represents the mountain. And so that's our; those are our three apps. But certainly a fun process. We don't have as many downloads as Angry Birds. (laughs) We're not in the millions for downloads, but we have had more than 500,000 downloads for our apps. Wow. So that's kind of exciting. From lots of countries, we actually have a lot of downloads of Spelling Star in Australia. But we've learned a lot about the whole process of coming up with an idea and then thinking about what are all the steps that go into actually getting this into the App Store. And then not just when you get it in the App Store, but how do you actually tell people about it? How do you let them know that it's there? So always think about the movie Field of Dreams and if you build it, they will come. I think people think that oftentimes about websites or apps. Well, all I have to do is build it and all these people are going to come, but there are thousands of apps out there. So you really have to think about the marketing piece uh, if you're going to get any downloads. So we've learned a lot about the marketing piece too. How are we going (laughs) to get people to know about our apps. So um, certainly, you know, kind of a fun hobby, but also a great learning experience coming up with these apps. Wow. Where were you when I was trying to learn master spelling? (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Well, any tech tips for current educators or future ones? I guess my tech tips would be kind of back to what I said, you know, kind of those three pieces of kind of the three things that I really try to instill in students for technology or, you know, try to really work on with our students is give them hands-on experience to build their confidence. I want them not only to hear about 
tools, but use them. I want them to think about integration strategies. You know, don't just use technology to use it, but really think about what kind of value it is adding to the learning experience. And then work to develop a growth mindset, work to develop a mindset that you're not afraid to try new things, to learn new things, because I feel like that's probably the most important thing when it comes to technology. So really, those are kind of the three things I'm always thinking about when I'm working with students. How can I do those three things? I feel like that sets them up for success with technology and kind of puts them on the path to continue to learn about technology. You know, one of the things I really try to work on with my students and I feel like some semesters I'm pretty successful and other semesters I don't know, but that is I really try to encourage all of my students to build their personal learning network, their PLN. And, you know, for me, my tool of choice for that is Twitter. And so I try to get my students to use Twitter to connect with other educators. I feel like it's a great way to learn about new technology tools that are out there see how technology tools are being integrated in classrooms. That's a piece of advice I would leave anybody is to really work on building a PLN, try to be connected so that you can, you know, learn new things and then just embrace change and don't be afraid to try new things. And it may not go as planned, but it's fun to try new things. Okay. Well, uh, thank you, Kevin, for being our guest today. I really appreciated you coming on the podcast and it was quite interesting to hear what you had to say. Thank you to our podcast producer, Xander Morrison, and thank you for listening to Cyberology. Please rate, review, and subscribe. Subscribe.